Hey, this is Corey Gann. Welcome to this week's sermon podcast, uh, where Pastor Stephen is still walking through Romans, and he's still going through the sermon series, A Life Transformation. This week's sermon is A Sequence of Sin, where Pastor Stephen discusses how sin can just snowball into bigger issues. So we pray that you are convicted today and that God changes lives today. Thank you for being with us, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. If you guys have a Bible today, please open it up to Romans chapter 1. No worries if you don't. The scripture will be on the screens. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, then we would encourage you to stop by our Welcome Center before you leave today. And we will be happy to give you a copy of God's Word. We'll be giving you a Bible. Uh, today we're in Romans 1, 28 through 32. We're in a verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans, a series entitled uh, A Life Transformation. And this is our seventh week uh, in the book of Romans, so it's taken us seven sermons to get through chapter one. So remember what I told you, we'll be here for a little while. Absolutely, we will. But today, we're going to talk about sin. And I would like the record to show I'm against it. Um, today's sermon, probably not going to get quite the feedback as last Sunday's sermon did, and uh, probably not going to have as many blogs written about me or comments made uh, disparaging me on social media. Um, but anyway, today we're going to talk about sin. Now, I grew up, and I've been my entire life in a Southern Baptist church, so I learned about sin from the experts. So today, we focus on sin's slippery slope. I heard a story about a pastor who got a call to a church down in South Alabama. He was up north, and he moved into a farming community. And, uh, you know, South Alabama, the main crop was peanuts. And so this pastor didn't know anything about farming, didn't know anything about peanuts or anything along those lines. But he preached one Sunday on sin, and he gave an invitation And a little boy came forward, and he was visibly upset, and he was crying, and he said, Pastor, I've sinned, I've sinned, I've sinned, I feel horrible about it. And the pastor said, well, what have you been doing? He said, I've been throwing peanuts in the river. And so he said, well, well, okay, all right, just don't throw peanuts in the river anymore, you know, and so he left. Well, he preached next Sunday on sin, and a different little boy, there were three of them that were sitting together in the back, a different little boy, a second boy came forward, same thing, he was crying, he was upset, pastor, I've sinned, I've sinned, I've been throwing peanuts in the river. And he said, well, okay, just don't throw peanuts in the river anymore. And he thought, my goodness, these people are serious about their peanuts around here. And, uh, and he didn't understand what was going on. And so the third little boy, he saw him after the service. And he said, son, can I just ask you? He said, your two friends, last Sunday, one came forward upset, saying he'd been throwing peanuts into the river. Today, the next one came forward, saying he'd been throwing peanuts in the river, really upset. I mean, can I ask you, what's the big deal? He said, well, pastor, my name's Peanuts. <laughs> so anyway, hmm. Sin is the topic of the sermon today. And uh, if, you don't have any, if you don't have any struggle with sin, then you can go ahead and leave. You're dismissed. Okay? You can beat everybody down to the buffet to eat the square fish. You go. 
But if you do struggle with sin, today we're going to talk about how to overcome sin, and we're going to talk about the consequences of sin. Let's look there with me. Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. <laughs> disobedient to parents. <laughs> Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not, don't miss this. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So I can't tell you the, some, of the, some of the communication I got after last week's sermon. And uh, I, I had one communication that was like this. What does it matter? You can believe what you want to believe when it comes to the issue of homosexuality. I'm offended that you said the issue of homosexuality, but what does it matter? It doesn't affect you. You live your life the way you want to, and they can live their life the way they want to. Well, I mean, but also approve of those who practice them. See, the mandate, I would even say the, the commission and the command that we have as followers of Jesus Christ is to speak the truth and speak it in love. I'm commanded by him to speak the truth. That if I sit there and say, well, you know what? Anybody can believe and live any way in the world they want to. It doesn't affect me. It's not that big of a deal. He says here, I'm just as guilty as those that are doing the acts. But this morning, I want us to look at sin's slippery slope. Now, there are three times where the Bible says in Romans 1 that God gave them up. Look back to verse 24. I know 24 is not in our text, but look back to verse 24. It says in 24, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gives them up to degraded acts. They do degraded things. It's a degraded nature. He gave them up to do those things. The second time the phrase is used is in verse 26. Tells us there that God gave them over to shameful desires. It says God gave them up, in my translation, to vile passions. Desires is what he is talking about there. The third time where it says that God gave them up or God gave them over is in verse 28. He gave them over to a depraved mind. Now, I believe what has happened here is Paul has reversed the sequence. You don't have a thought that has resulted necessarily from an evil deed. You have the evil thought which leads to the evil deed. So he's kind of unpacking this sequence from last to first. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk to you 
about when you get on this slippery slope of sin and how before you know it, you've gone way too far and you've gone much too fast. Five steps. Five steps that people follow when they slide down this slope of sin. Step number one, a tempting thought. It leads to a sinful desire. Now understand, guys, a thought is not sinful. I have folks that say to me all the time, they say, Pastor, I'm having all these thoughts in my mind. I just feel horrible about it. What is wrong with me? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with you. The very same thing that's wrong with me. And the very same thing that's wrong with every one of us in this room today. We are all sinners by nature, and we're sinners by choice. We live in an evil flesh. So these thoughts are something that the devil uses to tempt us to sin, but having a tempting thought is not sin within itself. The thoughts are going to be there, but the deal is you don't want to entertain them. You don't want to allow them to lodge in your mind. You, these tempting thoughts, again, are not sinful. But if there's something that you hang on to, if there's something that you uh, fantasize about, if, if these thoughts are something that you visualize, it can cross over the line and become a sinful desire. Did you know that it's possible to sin without even committing a sinful deed? Jesus talked about that over in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. Here's what Jesus said. He said, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully in his heart has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So many people struggle with that verse. Because they realize that that verse says it is possible to commit what we call mental adultery or what the Bible refers to as adultery in a person's heart. Let's play that out. So here you are. You look at a person of the opposite sex and you think, well, they're good looking. She's pretty. He's handsome. That's not a sin. But if you entertain thoughts about entering into a sexual relationship with that person, you begin to fantasize it, you begin to visualize it, then yes, Jesus said you've stepped over the line and you can commit adultery in your heart with that person. But how did it all begin? With a tempting thought. Now, my backwoods Tennessee pastor growing up used to explain it this way. If you're driving down the road in the car, and you look over and you say, that's a beautiful woman right there. That's not a sin. If you circle around the block to come back and look at her the second time, you're in trouble. <laughs> and there's a lot of truth to what he is saying there. So the thing to do when the thought comes is, I'm not going to entertain it. I'm not going to hang on to it. Now listen to me, listen to me. That's the reason why men, that's the reason why women, Young men, young women, pornography is so damaging. Everyone in this room who has struggled with pornography can immediately go to the Rolodex in their mind and pull up some image. The thought. That's the reason why it destroys marriages and relationships. And that's the reason why I say pornography is the most addictive addiction in the world today. It all starts with a thought. 
That thought leads to a sinful desire. But then here's the second step. A sinful desire leads to an evil deed. After being in ministry 29 years, you'd be amazed at some of the things that I've heard. But I've heard this several different times, and it goes a little something like this. They say, well, pastor, I've gotten involved in a relationship that's wrong. I mean, I'd already committed adultery in my mind, so I said, I might as well go ahead and commit the deed. Sin, sin, absolutely. The consequences of sin vary greatly. The consequences of mental adultery, they are relatively minor compared to the terrible consequences of actually doing the deed itself. I promise you guys, there has never been an act of adultery or an act of any sin that just happened. It all started with a tempting thought which became a sinful desire which then led to an evil, sinful, wicked act. Here's what sin is. Sin is when you say, I'm going to do what I want to do. Sin is when you say, I don't care what God says, I'm going to do what I want to do. Sin is when you say, you know what, I don't care who it hurts. I'm going to do what I want to do. Sin is when you say, I owe it to myself to be happy. Really? Really? God says your happiness should be found out of being made holy, set apart. Sin is when I say I could care less about the repercussions. I'm going to do what I want to do. And when you do it, All you're doing is feeding the sinful desire. It always starts with a desire. Our problem is we have wicked hearts. Let's not deny the fact today that we all have wicked hearts. I've read many different papers and many different books written by clinical psychologists, and they can, honestly, they can hold symposiums from now until judgment day. But until we bring the moral issue of the depraved human heart back in, there's not going to be any progress made whatsoever. And we can build more prisons, and we can build more schools, and we can pass more legislation. But friend, I'm telling you, the only hope that we have of changing somebody's evil heart is through the transforming power of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the only way. It is the only way. We sit there and think, well, there's some way that we can, we can manipulate things and we can change things. Can I tell you the problem with racism in the world today? We are wicked. Can I tell you the problem with, I mean, honestly, anything in the world that you can think of, addiction issues, anything, marriages, we are wicked. You can't legislate a changed heart. It can only be through the heart changer, who's Jesus himself. I mean, it's like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic to sit there and say, if you'll just do this study, and if you'll just implement this in your life, then you'll be changed. It's kind of like mopping the floor while the faucet is still running. They're not getting to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is we are wicked individuals. And I'll tell you this, I believe one of the problems, and this is one of the problems, one of the problems, you can label me a right-wing fundamentalist, many have. You can label me as part of the vast right-wing conspiracy if you want to, and many have. 
But I believe one of the big problems is 59 years ago when the United States Supreme Court took Bible and prayer out of public schools. Amen. 59 years later, we are reaping the bitter fruit and sinful fruit of a generation that was never taught about God. And that's just an observation of the source of the problem. And before we're too quick to applaud, let us point the finger at ourselves. Mm. What are we going to do? It's easy for us to sit in here in these friendly confines and say, oh, look at how bad they are. Oh, look at the pornographer. Oh, look at the drug pusher. Oh, look at the liberal politician. It's so easy for us to hang out in this place and point the finger. What are we going to do about it? Here's what we need to do about it. We've got to teach it and preach it in our homes. And we've got to teach it and preach it in our churches that we all have a sinful, depraved heart. And unless Jesus is allowed to change our hearts, there's going to be all kinds of evil idolatry, all kinds of lust, all kinds of envy, all kinds of racism, all of the very things that Paul talked about. But it all starts with a tempting thought. And that tempting thought leads to a sinful desire. And then that sinful desire becomes an evil deed. Let me give you the third step. An evil deed leads to a wicked habit. There are some good habits that you ought to cultivate. Good habits like deodorant. Isn't that a good habit? Yeah, you ever been around somebody who didn't wear one or wear it? You'd say, oh boy, they got a bad habit. Brushing your teeth, good habit, right? Reading your Bible is a good habit. Coming to church is a good habit. The book of Hebrews tells us this, do not forsake the assembling together of the saints as though some have started doing. And that's my paraphrase. There are some folks that ever since this whole pandemic started, they got out of the habit of coming to church. It's time to come back. It's time to come back. I ran into somebody not too long ago, and here's what they said. Pastor, I just can't come in there with all those people. And, you know, I look around. Most aren't wearing masks. And, you know, and you're not wearing a mask. And I just don't think I should come and be a part of that. And I'm like, okay, I understand why you're saying what you're saying, but you're telling me this at Walmart. <laughs> come on back. Come on back. You see how it happens, right? You see how it happens when it comes to a habit. So there are good habits, there are bad habits, but every habit started with an act. You did that deed, and then all of a sudden you did that deed again, and you did that deed again until it became a habit. Now, we're talking about wicked, sinful habits according to what Paul says. I use a lot of different illustrations, and I'm not particularly picking on anybody today. So if you get nailed right between the eyes, it, it ain't between you and me. All right? But... Let's think about cigarette smoking. That's one addiction some people have. Other people have other habits, other addictions. But let's talk about cigarette smoking. Every cigarette smoker started with what? That first cigarette. Now, I've smoked cigarettes, three of them, in my whole life. 
And the very first one that I smoked, my good friend who lived right across the street stole a pack of his daddy's Viceroy cigarettes. And we climbed into the doghouse in his backyard. It's usually where that habit starts. And he lit one, and he gave it to me. And probably like most of you who've smoked before, I took that first puff, and I'm like, oh, this is good. Oh, man, this makes me feel so good. Why didn't I do this a long time ago? No, it didn't happen that way. <laughs> I took that first puff, and what? <coughs> oh, oh, man. Oh, oh. My body was saying, this is not good. This is not good. Why are you doing this? I almost coughed up a lung, and I'm, and I'm sitting there, and, and I'm like, what do we do now? And he's like, smoke it again. <laughs> All right, I, yeah, I want to be a big boy, so I'm going to go ahead. And, and guess what? It, 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 you responded the very same way. That's our bodies telling us, you ought not do this. This is not good for you. This is not healthy for you. Now, I'll say this to every student that is in this place today. Listen to me. When you think of a cigarette, you ought to think of a bullet because they're exactly the same. And I know you guys have gotten a little bit more dignified today, and you smoke boxes with chemicals in it, which is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. I saw a guy the other day that had a necklace around his neck holding his cigarette box. And he was, and then like he was on fire. And I'm like, man, if you only knew what you look like. Students, listen to what your old preacher says for one just second. You ought to think of a cigarette and a bullet as exactly the same. Because they accomplish the same thing. They'll kill you. A bullet just does it quicker. But what happens is, you smoke that first cigarette, and you're like, man, that didn't go well. I got quite like I thought. I tell you what, I better try it again. And then you smoke more, and you smoke more, and all of a sudden you quit smoking, or you quit coughing as much when you smoke, and then all of a sudden you're like, you know what, I, I think I kind of like this, and then all of a sudden you keep doing it, you keep doing it, and it goes from I think I'll smoke a cigarette to I will smoke a cigarette to now i got to smoke a cigarette. It's that way with any habit. Once you start doing it, it begins with an act, and you do it over and over and over again, and it becomes a habit. And it all started with what? With just a thought. I think I'll do it. I think I'll smoke the cigarette. I want to smoke it. I will smoke it. And before long, you're like, man, if I don't get a cigarette, it's going to be bad to be around me. And it becomes a habit. And that's what he's talking about. And hear me. He's talking more than just about cigarettes. The fourth step is a wicked habit, but all of a sudden it, it corrupts character. Now, notice what has happened here. Now we're talking about character qualities. We're no longer talking about things that uh, people do, but now we're talking about what they are. Look at the last few, words of, uh, last few words of verse 29 and the first few words of verse 30. It, it doesn't talk about what they do. It talks about who they are. It says, they are whispers. They are backbiters, they are haters of God, they're violent, they're proud, they're boasters, they're inventors of evil things, and they're disobedient to parents. We're talking about character here. He says where there is a corrupt character, guess what? It all started with a thought. That thought led to a desire. 
That desire became an act. That act became a habit. And then all of a sudden it corrupted your character. Once you start doing something wrong and you continue to do something wrong, you continue to nurse that sin, then all of a sudden you'll justify it in your own mind and it becomes easier and easier to do the next time. And you do it the next time. And you do it the next time, and then suddenly what he is saying is that habit has now caused you to become a completely different person. That's sin's slippery slope. And maybe you're thinking this morning, Pastor, what are you talking about? Are you talking about Christians or are you talking about non-Christians? Because I need, need to kind of know who you're talking to here. Yes, both. Both. There's a tremendous difference, though. Don't miss this. A Christian may fall into acts of sin. A Christian may even develop for a short period of time habitual sin. But it is impossible for someone who calls themselves a Christian to continually, habitually commit the same sin over and over and over again. It is impossible. You say, how can you say that? Because Scripture says that. Listen to what it says. This is Bible proof. 1 John 3, 9 and 10. 1 John 3, 9 and 10. It says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot continue to sin. He cannot go on sinning. It's not that he doesn't want to. The fleshly nature is there. The desire is there. But it is impossible for him to continue on in disobedient, unconfessed sin. Why? Because the Bible says he, is been, he has been born of God. Matter of fact, he says that's how we know who the children of God are. And who the children of the devil are. The Bible makes it real clear, church, that tragically and sadly, Christians sometimes fall into acts of sin occasionally, but it is impossible for a true born-again Christian to continually and habitually and non-repentively sin. It's not our nature. We got a new nature when Jesus came into our heart. A lost person, a lost person can still sin and enjoy that sin. But I'm friend, friend, I'm telling you, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, your life belongs to him. There is no way the Holy Spirit who resides within you will identify and will take pleasure out of your sin. Some of you today are here. And you say, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but I'm in this unconfessed sin in my life, and I feel miserable. Can I just stop and say, thank the Lord. That is a great indication and a proof that indeed you belong to him. If you're able to live your life like those who do not profess to be followers of Christ, by those who do not have a relationship with the one true holy God, if you're able to live your life any way you want to, continue in that lifestyle, continue in disobedience, and it's no different again than those who profess Christ, then I stand before you today and say, you desperately need to evaluate your own salvation. 
That's what Paul is writing about in this passage of Scripture. It's what John writes about in 1 John chapter 3. Somebody who doesn't know Christ can sin. They can enjoy it. A Christian cannot. Let me give you the fifth step. A corrupt character leads to a deadly destiny. Isn't it sad? So, so it all started as what? It all started as a thought. Nothing sinful about the thought. But it started with a thought and it slipped down and it became a desire. And then all of a sudden that desire, it slipped down and it became a deed. And then the deed slipped down and it became a habit. And then the habit turned into a character change. And then all of a sudden, now there's a destiny. What do I mean by destiny? Look in verse 32. He says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only to the same, but also approve of those who practice them. See, after a person dies, there's only one of two destinies. That's it. That's it. There's no such thing as purgatory. One of two destinies. The Bible says this. The Bible says if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you've surrendered your faith and your trust and your life to him, you've received forgiveness that can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ, then your eternal destiny will be what? Will be Jesus called it paradise. We call it heaven. And in case you didn't know, there's another destiny. And it's hell. It is separation from God forever and ever and ever. When everybody in this room dies, you're going to end up in one of those two destinies. There's no middle ground, okay? Nobody's going to pray you once you're dead out of hell into heaven. Nobody's going to give amount of money to the church so that I may say, well, now that you've given this great monetary gift, I will pray your loved one out of this temporary holding place into glory. It will not happen. There's no middle ground, friend. Listen to me, but I want to tell you this. I don't believe God wants anybody to spend eternity separated from him in hell. God doesn't want anyone to go through eternal death. Scripture says God desires that all men may be saved. You say, well, I read a book, and I've adopted this belief system, and I know that, you know what? God has chosen me before the very foundation of the world. I am reformed. What would you reform from, friend? You show me the first reformed individual that says, I've reformed, and guess what? I'm not a part of the elect. I've got respect for you, brother. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Friend, I want you to hear something. God chose you to be his child, but God made it very clear. I have sent my son into the world because I love the world. I want to redeem the world. I want to save the world. I want to set free the world. Will everyone be saved? No, not everyone will be saved. Does God know who's going to be saved and not be saved? Yes, God knows who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. But do not remove his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness by saying, because he's sovereign, it for he forfeits the others. I would say it this way. For God so loved the world, and you should too. Preach Jesus. Share Jesus. I don't care if you put yourself in some camp that says, I'm part of the redeemed and the elect. Look, I've got a yellow stripe down my back. 
Well, who cares? Jesus saves, not you, Jack. I'm just sorry. I spent this week at the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm sorry. I'm just, just a little, little, little uneasy right there. I didn't even give this to the first service. I didn't know if they were spiritual enough to handle it. But <laughs> Let me just say this. Let me just say this. God doesn't want anybody to go through eternal death. Now, let me illustrate what I'm talking about today by a story that Jesus told. It's called the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. I wish you'd not been named that because it says a whole lot more about the loving father than it does the prodigal son. Matter of fact, Jesus said, hey, you want to know what God's like? Look at the daddy in this story. Here's how Jesus tells the story. He says there were two sons, and the younger son said, Dad, I know one of these days you're going to die, and I'm going to get a part of your estate, a part of your kingdom, but actually, you're as good as dead to me right now. Why don't you go ahead and give me my money? Now, probably most of you, like me, it would go a little different way than the parable tells I'd be like, come again, friend? Yeah, let me call my lawyer. You'll get nothing. As a matter of fact, you can start paying me for room and board, and that cell phone's mine, that car's mine. Anyway, anyway, it'd go a little different. I'm just saying, it'd go a little different. You feel my pain, right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. Jesus was telling us God is a father who has the kind of nature and the character that if one of his children wants to turn and walk away in sin, it breaks his heart, but he lets him go. By the way, if anybody in this room wants to walk away from God, he won't stop you. He loves you. It breaks his heart, but he'll let you go. We've been reading three times in Romans 1. He gives them up. He gives them up. He gives them up. So, the father hands over the money to his son. He hands his son over to the money, and the son says, see you, pop, and he was gone. In the story, Jesus said he went and he wasted it all on riotous living. He lived it up. He had fun, party hardy, fun. Suddenly, he ran out of money. When he ran out of money, he ran out of friends. He ran out of things to do, and he found himself in a hog pit. A, a bunch of mud, manure, filth, and slime. Why didn't Jesus say a, a cattle yard? Why didn't Jesus say a chicken coop? Why didn't he say a pig pen? Who was his audience? Jews. See, the Jews believe that the dirtiest thing on the earth is a pig. Now, I'll submit to you, they've never had a good barbecue sandwich. But anyway. <laughs> Here's a good Jewish boy in the pig pen. What all started out as this thought, as this thought, I'm going to go and I'm going to have some fun became a desire. So he's like, I'm going to go have some fun. Hey, this is how I can go and have some fun. I'm going to get some money from my daddy. Give it to me, dad. Give it to me. He took it. He started doing the wrong thing. And suddenly he's in a pig pen. And you know what happened then? Jesus said in the story that the father went looking for the son. And the father found him in the pig pen. And he pulled him out of the pig pen. And he washed his son off. And he said, here, son, let's go home. Amen? No, come on, that didn't happen that way. It didn't happen that way at all. Thank you. Some of y'all realize that. It's not what Jesus said. You say, well, now, wait a minute. That's how I'd do it if it were my child. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's how I would do it, right? 
I'd go find my kid and I'd clean my kid up and I would say, I would say, come on, we're going home. Friend, listen to me. God's the perfect father. You're not God, I'm not God. That's where we fall short. Do you know what God knew? God knew that if he had gone into the pig pen, if he had pulled him out of the pig pen, and if God would have washed him up, one day he would have ended up right back in the pig pen. So do you know what the father did? His heart was broken. But he waited. Scripture doesn't tell us this, but I can imagine him looking down the road every single day. I think every single day his heart was broken as he thought about that child who had wandered away. One day, the boy looked around. He said, whoa, 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 what am I doing here? How'd I get here? You ever found yourself there? What started as a thought led to a desire, led to the deed which became a habit, and all of a sudden you're like, man, my character's changed. And you're like, how'd I get here? Sin always promises more than it can deliver. And I'm telling you, it takes you further than you're willing to go. And he said, what am I doing here? You know what? I made a big mistake. This is awful. I've got to go back. Now, I've got good news for you today. And this is, I mean, this is pretty simple. But listen, here it is. You're the one who decides when to stop the slide. You're the one who decides. It's up to you. And God is waiting for you to decide how far down you're going to have to go and when you're going to stop and when you're going to come back. You are the one that decides when you're going to stop the slide. Luke 15 tells us, Here's what the son said. He said, I'll set out. I'll go back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to even be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Make me like one of your servants. So the scripture says he got up. That's what some of you need to do today. Get up. Get up and go to the father. And then the Bible tells us this in the parable that Jesus is telling. It says that while he was still a long way off, the son was a long way off, his father saw him. His father was filled with compassion. His father ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. I don't know, I, I read scripture and I'm like, okay, okay, we got to fill in the blanks here. I mean, I just, I kind of have this in my mind, the father every afternoon, right? The father looking down that road and one afternoon he looked down that road and he saw a figure that had a gate, like his walk was like his son. He's like, golly, look, man, that, that guy right there is walking just like my boy would walk. But that, that's not my son. That guy right there is way too skinny to be my son. That guy right there is way too emaciated. That guy right there is Got a, he's got a little limp. I mean, it looks like he may have even been hurt. I mean, he kind of walks like my boy, but that can't be my boy. And the closer and the closer he got to the, he got to the father, it's like God sits there and the father sits there and the father says, that's my boy. That's my boy. His heart left and the Bible says he ran. He ran. Now, this gets lost on us, but in the Jewish culture, an old man didn't run. That was dishonoring to himself. 
He said, I don't care about myself. And he ran. And he met his son. I'm just saying Jesus is letting us know God will run to meet you too. Friend, it's the only time in the Bible where it ever speaks of God getting in a hurry. The only time. When? When he runs out to meet a child who's just gotten out of the pig pen and is coming back home. What that says is this, church. It says that when you take one step back toward the Father, he'll run to meet you. He'll throw his arms around your neck and he'll kiss you and he'll take the fatted calf and he'll kill it and he'll cause a celebration. He'll put a ring on your hand. It would have been the family insignia ring. It would have shown everyone near and far that he came into contact with, I'm a member of this family. And he'll go and he'll put a robe on your back and shoes on your feet that says there's still freedom here at the house. And he says, now you're back. I can do what I couldn't do when you were in the pig pen. I can bless you. See, God's blessings are when you come home. Where where are you on this slippery slope? You're, You're the one who decides when you'll stop the slide. You deal with sin when? When it's a tempting thought. You resist that tempting thought. If you don't resist that tempting thought, all of a sudden it becomes a desire. That desire will turn into a deed. You do that deed over and over again. It turns into a habit. The habit now will affect and change your character. And then it becomes a lifestyle. And it leads to a destiny. Whether you're in this room or you're outside of this room, whether you're watching this program today because you want to try to find me saying something wrong that you can write about, by the way, it won't take much. Please, please hear me. If you're out there in a mud hole at the bottom of this slippery slope of sin, if today you'll say, Father, I need to come back to you, he'll say, Come on home. Been looking for you every day. Been waiting. Come on home. Yeah, but Dad, you you don't know where I've been. I know where you've been. But but Father, you you don't know what I've done. Oh, I, I know what you've done. Come on home. Are you tired and weary? Come on home. Have you made a mess out of your life? Come on home. Do you feel deserted? Nobody cares? Oh, oh, I'm, I'm saying the one who matters the most cares. Come on, come on home. Are you broken? Yeah, yeah, come on. Come on home. Come home. You see, friend, when the son was in the far-off country, the story says that he wasn't himself. You say, well, where does it say that? It says that when it mentions that he was sitting in the filth one day, 
wishing that he could eat the slop the pigs were eating because he was so hungry. Probably thinking, how in the world did I get here? Yet he couldn't even eat the pig's food because they valued the hog more than they did the boy. The world will do that, won't it? Remember what I said? Sin will take you farther than it you ever were willing to go. Cost you more than you were willing to pay. And here's what the scripture says. He came to himself and he got up. And he got out. Helping us to understand that while he was in the far off country, he wasn't really himself. I'm just saying, when you're away from the Father's house, that's not the individual that God created you to be. He created you to be in relationship with him and the things of this world will never satisfy that. Quit trying to. Come to yourself. Get up. Come on. Would you bow your heads with me today? With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Today this sermon goes to one of two groups. Those who would say, I'm a Christian. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. But I'm in the far off country. I am miserable. I feel as though I'm living hell here on earth because of disobedience and the Holy Spirit not identifying with that. Remember what I said, friend? We all go through occasional seasons of rebellion and disobedience. It's during those times the Holy Spirit <laughs> reminds us, this is not who you are. Come to yourself. Get up out of this. Run to the Father. Maybe today you'd say, Father, Father, I want to come home. Maybe today you do business with him. Get real with him. God, I've wandered. <laughs> I'm ready to come home. <clears throat> God, I've done this and I've done this. And... Oh, he knows, but go ahead. So that you hear it yourself, call it out. Agree with him. That's what confession is. Confession is not us telling God what we've done. Confession is us agreeing with God that we have sinned. Come home. See, he was the father's son. He would always be the father's son. That was his birthright. That was his relationship. But he wasn't himself because he was in the pit. 
Would you just talk to God right now? There, there's another group that I'm talking to today, and that are those of you who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Pl- please hear my heart. I'm not asking you, have you ever been baptized? There are people who get baptized that don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not asking you, do you believe the Bible's true, or do you celebrate Christmas or Easter? There, there are folks that don't have a relationship with Jesus that do those things. I'm asking you this. Has your heart and your life ever been changed? No change, no Christ. If today you would say, you know what, mine's not. I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. But today I'd like to. Right now, this moment, I invite you to do that. Just be real, be honest, speak to him right inside your heart. Put your faith and trust in him. Ask him to forgive you, to cleanse you, surrendering your life to him. Come to the very one that gave you life to begin with. Come on. Oh God, I pray that you'd speak, you'd move during this time. I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw all men, women, boy and girl unto you. Oh God, you tell us in your word that when we lift up the name of Jesus and exalt Jesus, that it will draw people unto him. Jesus, we pray that today you would save and that you would heal and that you would cleanse and that you would do the miraculous. Oh God, speak and draw during this time. May your spirit have freedom to roam freely, not only in this room, but outside of this place, Lord. Those that will be watching on TV, those that will be watching online. Oh God, move through those avenues. Do the impossible so that your name will be glorified. Hi, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you today for listening to our Unchangeable Truth podcast. Our prayer is that you have been challenged as well as encouraged as we study God's Word verse by verse. If you're ever in the Panama City area, we would love for you to come and worship with us in person at Highland Park Baptist Church, 2611 Highway 231 North in Panama City. If you want to learn more about our ministry and about our church, we would encourage you to go to our website, www.highland, and that's H-I-L-A-N-D, park, P-A-R-K, dot org. If you have any questions or any comments about today's podcast, feel free to shoot us an email at info at highlandpark.org. That's H-I-L-A-N-D, P-A-R-K, dot org. Our prayer is that you would continue to draw close to God. And if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, please reach out to us and let us share with you the greatest story that's ever been told. God bless.